Welcome to Vision is More Than 2020, a podcast aimed at talking about your vision, your eyes, and how they play a role in overall visual and systemic function. Dr. Zolnicki and Lakowski, with the help of various guests, will work to help you understand more about your visual system and all the pieces to the vision puzzle. Hi, guys. Welcome to this week's episode of Vision is More Than 2020. We are going to continue speaking about strabismus and the treatment of strabismus. But before we do that, let's talk about our weekly insight. And today we want to highlight a book or two books, I should say, by a neuroscientist by the name of Susan Berry. She wrote this incredible book in 2009 called Fixing My Gaze. And it was her experience of finally seeing in 3D. Dr. Barry was born with crossed eyes and had no 3D vision in early infancy. And she had gone through an extensive amount of vision therapy to get to this point. But it was life changing for her because she was able to see in 3D even though the odds were against her, right? We talked about last episode, how when you have an eye turn as an infant, it's really difficult to get that 3D vision because of the abnormal binocular experience you had as a baby. But through this really intense vision therapy program, she was able to see 3D, right? They kind of dubbed her like Stereo Sue uh, because she really kind of defied the odds. But she really highlights this remarkable journey. And being a neuroscientist, she really wanted to understand like how the brain works, right? The eyes are just an extension of the brain. And this book kind of exudes so much, right? Because it's like a story of hope and understanding and really appreciating our vision. And I really, really love this book. And if you at all suffer from strabismus or somebody in your life does, I really think it's a wonderful read um, for you. It is. It's really such a wonderful story as a journey of an adult with strabismus who didn't really receive, you know, management earlier in life. And, you know, it's a long journey, but it really does highlight the amazing gains that you can have even as an adult with strabismus. And then just as a side note, I do want to highlight Suberia wrote another book that came out very recently called Coming to Our Senses that's really, really interesting. So she looks at two stories, one of a boy who was blind almost from birth and gains vision and a story of a little girl who is deaf and gains hearing and then really talks about their journey in terms of gaining those senses, what, how it changed their perception within their lives, how it changed their emotions and their relationships. And it's really a really interesting journey that she takes you on throughout those stories. So definitely check out her two books. Yeah. And I'll link those in the show notes so you guys can kind of just go right to them uh, to check them out. So let's delve into strabismus treatment. This episode comes with a disclaimer because every binocular vision doctor or every ophthalmologist will have a very different treatment approach. The most important thing to do is to find a doctor that you personally feel comfortable with and their treatment plan and that you feel heard in what your goals are. We know that surgery versus vision therapy in this community is always a hot topic and it's always much debated. But we are going to touch upon how we approach this sensitive subject and for our patients. So we just want to start this episode with that disclaimer. But our best piece of advice is 
to find a doctor that you feel the most comfortable with and is hearing what your ultimate goals are because that will drive treatment. So with that said, now Dr. Z and I are gonna share kind of our approach just to business. So our first line of treatment with really anything, as you know, if you've listened to previous episodes is looking at your glasses prescription. We talk about this a lot, but really each eye seeing clearly is the first step in vision. So if there is any big difference in prescription that's there between the two eyes, and the two eyes are not seeing the same level of vision by simply correcting that glasses prescription. If we can get the two eyes seeing clearer, that's going to set you up to be more successful binocularly. If there is a difference between the two eyes and what they're seeing, that's going to be a barrier to fusion because your brain has a really hard time taking one clear image, one blurring image and morphing it into one nice 3D image for you. So that is always our very first step. Now with glasses, they may look like a traditional single vision pair of glasses where we're simply prescribing what your prescription is for the distance or for near. Um, but there are some more considerations that we'll make in someone who has strabismus, particularly with esotropia. So with esotropia, that's your eye's tendency to want to turn in. That can be very tied to your focusing system, your accommodative system. So if there's a deficiency in your accommodative system and those muscles we use to focus up close are having a hard time, we can actually, our focusing system and our eye teaming system are very tied together. So one way we can kind of try to kick in that focus a little bit is to drive the eye in a little bit. And by kicking in that convergence, it will help that focusing system and pull it all in. So one consideration we'll make to kind of relax your system for you when you're an esotrope is to prescribe something at near also. And that may be something in a bifocal form because by helping relax that focusing system, it can actually help that eye relax out a little bit and can help reduce some of that eye turn amount that we see. Yeah. And in some accommodative esotropic patients, they are completely straight with a pair of bifocals and it's amazing. You know, they put this pair of glasses on and their eyes are straight. Um, and the bifocal comes into play because sometimes the eye turn is a little bit larger at near versus distance. So um, it's definitely a, a big consideration for us. The other consideration in terms of spectacle lenses are prisms. Uh, we always consider prisms with our, our patients depending on their needs and how they respond to the prism. Sometimes uh, a patient very early on in treatment actually can't tolerate the prism because their brain doesn't know how to use, you know, we're, we're essentially manually putting the images together and sometimes it's too much for the patient's brain and they don't like it where they're getting, you know, a single image. So we always make, uh, you know, we always try it and see how the patient responds to it and if it's a benefit to them during therapy. The great thing about PRISM is that we can always add more, we can add less. They have these PRISMs called Fresnel PRISMs, which are press-on PRISMs that you can, that literally stick on with like soapy water. Uh, so we can always try them and then change them for patients depending on their level of strabismus and their needs at that moment. So PRISM is definitely something we also consider when it comes to glasses prescriptions. Okay, so now let's talk about strabismus surgery. And this is going to be a little bit of a hefty conversation because as we said before, you know, within the behavioral optometric community, surgery can be considered a controversial treatment management the same way vision therapy can be considered controversial within the ophthalmology realm. So for both Dr. Zilnicki and I, we certainly see the place for strabismus surgery within the management of our patients. Our approach is very much team-based. That's how we approach anything. We really never function just independently managing our patients. We're always looking at our patients as a whole and looking at, you know, how can we best manage them along with other providers 
that we have at our arsenal, right? So we certainly refer patients for business surgery or have conversations about surgery with our patients when it is warranted. As we'll get to, you know, we really find the most success with that when they're doing a course of vision therapy paired with that surgery. So I think it's really important if you're a doctor listening or a patient listening and you've been recommended to have surgery, but you've gotten then conflicting opinions from other providers, take everything in with a grain of salt, listen to all of your options. And for a doctor listening, just make sure that you are explaining all of those treatment options to your patients and really listening to your patients because it really may come down to what their goals are in which way you direct them to go, right? So let's get a little bit into why strabismus surgery can be considered somewhat controversial or not always our go-to first line main treatment. This is because as we've been talking about strabismus, yes, it is a misalignment within the eyes that's affecting or, or caused by a change in your eye muscles and how they're functioning, but it's really occurring within your brain, right? As we've talked about in, throughout our workup or even in our treatment discussion, when you start to have a strabismus, your brain function is really changed because your brain is the one that's interpreting the image from each eye and deciding how much to pay attention to the image from each eye. So with strabismus surgery, what they're doing is they're actually structurally realigning that eye to make it appear more straight, which for some patients, that is their main concern. For patients that are well-adapted strabismus patients, they may not see double, they may not see blurry. They're just concerned about that cosmesis piece where the eye turns in or turns out. And that's where the surgery comes into play. That surgery can move that eye in, out, up, or down to better match the other eye. And cosmetically, you will look more aligned. And for a lot of patients, that is their main goal, right? So that's where strabismus surgery is really wonderful and can help you gain that appearance of being more aligned. Now, from our perspective, we're really looking at your overall visual function and how the two eyes are working together. So with changing that alignment of the eye surgically, you're not changing anything with how your brain is functioning. So your brain still functions as a strabismic brain, essentially, and is really going to utilize that strabismic eye in the same manner. You're not teaching that brain how to pay attention to that eye anymore or waken up that eye. You're not teaching the two eyes how to work together any better. And as we've been discussing all along, the key to your best visual function is have the two eyes working together, aligned together, so you can have that clear 3D vision. So with surgery, you're not gaining any of that piece. Yeah, you're not gaining that piece. And sometimes the brain says, hey, you just put this eye that was in left field in the infield, and I don't know what to do with it. And the eyes start to fight again. And sometimes you have regression where the eyes start to turn out again or turn in again. And sometimes that requires subsequent surgeries because the doctors are just sort of guessing at how you're going to adapt to this new structural change. And that's really hard to do. So we typically recommend surgery for patients that have a constant unilateral large eye turn. That is something that's really, really difficult to train, especially if it's an esotrope versus an exotrope. Esotropes are hard to train. I always say, I think I have esotropes figured out, and then I get a new one, and they throw me for a loop because they are very difficult. So if there is a large, constant esotrope that's unilateral, that is usually where I start to have that conversation. Alternatively, also, if I have a large exotrope that's constant, especially in the distance, that's, you know, when we're talking like 30 to 40 prism diopters, sometimes that is just too great of a turn to compensate for. And 
Dr. L and I are aligned on this and Dr. L touched on this is we really think of this as a team approach. I think the best surgical outcomes happen when they do pre-surgical vision therapy, they get the surgery and then they come back to vision therapy to know to learn how to use those two eyes together to get that function of the two eyes to work together, right? We highlighted in last episode how 3D vision and stereo vision is the lock to our binocular system. So if we now have the two eyes structurally aligned, but don't know how to work together, there is going to be that regression. But if we can do post-surgery vision therapy and teach those eyes how to work together, it's going to stick and it's going to stick best that way. I mean, we would never think about getting a hip surgery or a knee surgery without doing physical therapy after. Why would we think that we can cut our eye muscles and not do therapy after? I I think that's like the biggest question I have is like, you're literally cutting your eye muscles. They give you the most amount of sensory information in the shortest amount of time. You need a little therapy to teach them how to do it together. And I love that piece. I think that yeah, vision therapy isn't thought of like physical therapy, but it kind of should be. And it can really be very complementary to a strabismus surgery. So that's really what we wanted to highlight today. And then that leads us to our main recommendation, of course, because we do vision therapy, is vision therapy. This episode is brought to you by Luminous. For over 50 years, Luminous has developed innovative gold standard devices for eye care, like the first SLT laser, the first argon laser photocoagulator, and the revolutionary dual path SLT and YAG laser. Luminous, the inventor of intense pulse light, or IPL, is proud to announce the first and only IPL system to receive FDA approval for management of dry eye disease and to launch OptiLite, a bright solution for dry eyes. OptiLite uses Luminous's patented optimal pulse technology to allow consistent, precise, and controlled treatment. If your patients suffer from dry, gritty, tired eyes, and dry eye disease due to meibomian gland dysfunction that is impacting their quality of life and their vision, OptiLite puts the power for treating dry eye disease in the palm of your hand. OptiLite breaks the dry vicious cycle of inflammation and delivers improvement in tear breakup time and other clinical signs of dry eye disease. To learn how you can elevate dry eye management with OptiLite, visit Luminous.com slash OptiLite. Now, why is this somewhat controversial within the ophthalmology realm? Historically, ophthalmologists have stated that there may not be enough evidence to show that vision therapy is really successful or an effective treatment method. But that is really, really changing. You know, vision therapy has been all around for a very, very long time. But it's one of those things that's kind of difficult to do a really good um, randomized, double-blind, controlled, large-scale clinical trial on because it can be really hard to provide a good placebo Um, You know, it's kind of hard to provide sham therapy and compare it to real therapy. And that's been kind of a a barrier, I think, in producing some really good clinical trials. But that's been really overcome, especially with, you know, all the awareness of vision therapy and more patients getting diagnosed and receiving treatment. It's really provided the number of participants needed to produce these good clinical trials. So we actually have some really great large-scale clinical trials, specifically the convergence insufficiency treatment trial, which looked at effectively treating convergence insufficiency with vision therapy, and it really did show statistically significant improvements in their function through a course of in-office-based vision therapy. So I think that argument is kind of like going by the wayside. It's something that can't, you can't really stand on that argument anymore. Yeah, and I find that, you know, the older school ophthalmologists are less open to vision therapy, but 
a lot of the younger ophthalmologists coming out are really starting to understand the functional piece to vision. And they're starting to understand the benefits of working together with the behavioral optometric community because their surgery success rate increases when we work together because it really allows for the best outcome for the patient because they're structurally aligning the eyes and we're functionally getting the eyes to work together. And that is a recipe for success. Now, vision therapy with our strabismus patients is not easy or not straightforward. Our typical amount of sessions in our office uh, for like typical binocular vision disorders or post-concussion is about 24 sessions. And with a strabismus patient, that's really just the tip of the iceberg. Typically, these patients are in therapy anywhere between 24 or upwards of 48 plus sessions. Uh, there's not really, an, you know, it's not like, oh, on session 32, you're done. We really go through vision therapy with a lot of reevaluations to determine how much and how many sessions are needed depending on how they respond to the therapy. Uh, but we do like to give that disclaimer to our pa parents and patients from the get-go. Like this isn't an instant gratification type of treatment. It's not like surgery where you get that boom, they wake up, the eyes are aligned. But what we are doing is that we're giving them the tools to maintain that fusion and develop that stereopsis long-term, which allows for the best visual function. So then we thought it would be interesting to highlight uh, some specific patients we've had and kind of our approach and our treatment with them. So I wanted to share a story of a little boy who was four years old when he first started coming to me. He was a mixed mechanism esotrope. So he had an accommodative component where part of it was because he was very hyperopic or farsighted. So he came to me, he was already under the care of two ophthalmologists. Uh, he was already in a bifocal where he had a plus prescription for the distance and some additional plus up close. His right eye tended to turn in a little more than his left eye, but he could alternate, but that right eye really was turning in more than the left. So mom came to me, she had done a little bit of home stuff with him, but she was really interested in pursuing some vision therapy. Um, she had had a few different varying opinions from the, the two ophthalmologists he was seeing. One was really pushing for surgery to align the eyes. The other was okay just monitoring with the glasses prescription and was actually really open to a course of vision therapy as well and was very encouraging in that regard. Um, so the mom was really kind of taking each practitioner's opinion in with a grain of salt and really looking at her son and his function and, and you know, really trying to make a decision for what was best for him at this young age. So I, we ended up continuing with the bifocal wear. I initiated a course of vision therapy. Prior to starting vision therapy, he really did tend to suppress or turn off that right eye some of the time, not all of the time. Um, that right eye wasn't always turning in, but it was a large portion of the time. He had very decreased 3D awareness, 3D vision, um, and a little bit of a decreased visual acuity in that right eye as well. Um, so through a course of vision therapy, we started to improve the vision in that right eye. We started to improve his 3D vision. Um, and helped turn on that right eye a little bit more of the time. So it wasn't turning as frequently. There was more frequency of time that the right eye was aligned with that left eye. And that helped those 3D vision gains. And he wasn't suppressing that right eye as much. And mom was really, really happy with the progress we were making. And she made the decision herself to hold off on surgery for now because she really understood that piece of how what we were doing in vision therapy was really helping his visual function and setting him up to be more successful visually. Um, she was a parent, she wasn't as concerned about the cosmesis 
um, which I always share with my vision therapy parents that, you know, we're not curing the eye turn through a course of vision therapy. Your child is still going to have an eye turn. There's still going to be times you see that eye turn in or turn out, especially towards the end of the day, especially when they're fatigued. And that doesn't mean that we weren't successful with the course of vision therapy. Our main goal is trying to get the two eyes to align together more of the time. So the brain gets really used to using the two images from both eyes and really holding on to that ability. So I just wanted to share that case where we ended up kind of holding off on surgery. She kept it on the back burner, uh, but she was really happy with the progress we made through vision therapy. I love that story. He was so cute. And you mentioned he was four and we were able to make these changes. It doesn't, you know, if you have a motivated parent and a motivated kid, vision therapy at any age can really be effective. The story I wanted to share was a VT surgery success story. Um, and actually this was my cousin's uh, son, uh, right? Family is always the hardest to treat, but my cousin's son, he was seven when they came to me and he started out with an intermittent I turn that turned out more so in the distance than at near. It would still uh, turn out a little bit at near, but definitely more in the distance, and that's called divergence excess. So we did a course of vision therapy. We started with 24 sessions of vision therapy, and we got him aligned and solid from about right, you know, at 12 inches to about six feet. And he was able to maintain fusion. He had 3D vision. He was doing great. He was getting you know, academically, he was doing really well, right? Because up close, he was binocular. But after that six foot range, his eye would, you know, anytime he would look further than six feet, that eye would turn out. And it was about 35 prism diopters, which is fairly large. And my cousin's wife was very concerned about the cosmesis, right? He was seven. Kids in school were starting to not be the nicest about it uh, because it was very apparent that he wasn't looking, you know, with both eyes. And she was very, very concerned about that piece. And I said, I, I understand that. And that turn is so large. I'm not certain how much more I could get uh, out of him. Uh, you know, we were trying and trying and we kind of reached this plateau in therapy. So we consulted with our local strabismus surgeon and she was like, you've done beautiful work. Let's get this eye aligned in the distance. And it was fairly constant in the distance. It was it was really there anytime he looked at past six feet. Uh, so that's why I was really comfortable with the the surgery option. And because I was hearing my cousin, they were concerned about the cosmesis. Um, and it was really weighing heavy on them with, with the, how it looked. Uh, and I said, okay, let's do it. And he received the surgery. Post-surgery, he was double for a few days, which was a little bit hard for him. You know, he was little and he didn't really understand what was happening. But then we got him back into a program of vision therapy. And he's about eight months post-surgery at this point, And he has maintained alignment. He is doing well in baseball and he is happy. And my cousin and their, his wife are happy. They are like, everything came together, right? Like it was we did the, the, as much therapy as we could to stabilize him. There were some limitations to what I could do in therapy for them at the immediate stage. And we supplemented with surgery and then the post-surgery vision therapy has kind of sealed the deal. There has been no regression and he's happy. He's thriving and happy. And that's the end goal for all of our patients is for them to feel good and to be able to do all the things that they want to do. So these are two really great stories that really sum up how treatment 
can vary, but listening to your patients and their goals really help to dictate how we approach their treatment. And so we hope you learned so much about strabismus and our big takeaways are if you're someone with strabismus, you know, it can't hurt to get second opinions because there's no one way to treat a to treat a strabismic patient. So if you're not feeling comfortable with a management plan, you know, seek out other opinions and kind of take everyone's opinion in and you decide what's best for you. Because as we highlighted, a lot of this is about like what your goals are and what you want to gain in terms of improving your eye alignment. And if you have any signs or symptoms of strabismus, make sure you seek out an eye care professional. Um, we always recommend seeing one that really specializes in vision therapy and binocular vision, because that, that really is a big piece to holding on to any gains in alignment that you do gain, whether that's through vision therapy, prism, or surgery. And we will talk to you next week. Bye, guys. Thanks for listening. Join our private Facebook group, Vision is More Than 2020, and follow us on Instagram. For additional content, check out our practice, Twin Forks Optometry, on both Facebook and Instagram. Subscribe, download, and leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Podcasts. Tune in next week to learn more about your vision.